Hey, listen, every time that uh, I preach, and I told you I try not to be a controversial preacher. Why are you laughing? I just preach the word of God and try to be true, right? God be true, every man be a liar, the scripture says. And sometimes, especially in our culture we're in today, the truth affects people in different ways. You hear the truth, hey, you have cancer. What do some people do? A natural thing is to go into shock. I heard that. What, I disbelief, I don't have it. I want to get a second opinion, a third opinion. Uh, I, I, I don't know what to do. Or some people are very aggressive. Let's go after it today. Uh, some people want to think about it. There's all kind of different things we have we hit the, when we get the bad news. But let me ask you this. Is God always with us through the good times and the bad? Do we believe that to be true? If we don't believe that to be true, what happens is in the tough times, we're going to start wavering. We're going to start wondering. And I want to tell you this morning as we talk about this Meet Jesus series and as we talk about today's sermon is whatever he says, do it. Nike kind of stole that, right? Because that's for a direct wording from Mary, the mother of Jesus. You're going to see today, I, I woke up this morning, came out and uh, didn't have coffee this morning. I was running, I was early, but I was going to be a little bit behind and someone had egged my car and put about 50 nails in my driveway and I'm like behind my car in Wendy's car. And I was like, all right, this is how we'll start in the morning. So I made a police report and picked up the police. Aiken Public Safety was kind to help me pick up all the nails and got to church and was going to wash off in the back and got to church. I said, maybe somebody was after me. He, and the officer said, somebody might be gunning for you uh, or, or after you or something like that term. And so I, I come to church and said, well, maybe if it's somebody who's really mad, they might do it at church too. So we look for vandalism every Sunday morning. We are up here late on Saturday nights because there's always things going on in this parking lot. And sure enough, turned in this morning, those same nails were in the parking lot at the front of the church in the entrance and the exit way. So made another police report and um, I called Wendy. She says, well, how are you doing? I was like, I'm excited. This is good stuff. For the longest time, I've always said, if you're not in collision with the devil, you're in collusion with him, right? So uh, we, had, we had some adversity this morning and I was like, hey, this is awesome. Let's go. Now, I want to find out who did it. I privately would like to find out who did it. And uh, the, my, me wants to find out, but uh, I just threw these keys in there. But then this morning when I came back, Dan Williams brings keys and they deliver them to me. We have a door that's triggered by a certain key. It's an electronic door. And I said, uh, we've been, me and Derek's been looking for this key. We know it's a, a, an, an Allen wrench, but there was a special key that just goes insert it. And I can remember from 10 years ago or 11, uh, 11 or 10 years ago, there was, the guys would have this special key. We didn't have one. So Dan Williams says, these are extra keys. He brings them to church today. And guess what it is? The very special key that we need for that door. Derek, it's on the front right there. So every time there's a curse, God sends a, a blessing. And and I'm sure we never get nails. I got about 70-something nails now. If I, I'm sure there's going to be a project that comes up this week that's going to need every one of those nails. So whoever did it, thank you for the nails. They were very expensive, and uh, the eggs washed off easily. So good luck next time. All right, let's get into the Word today. Listen, every time something bad happens, we can go, poor me, poor us, right? Why me, God? God's big enough to take those questions every time you have a situation in your life. We, we know that life, listen, if we can actually be big boys and girls for just a moment, life is sometimes tough, isn't it? We're getting older every day. Every day, we, know, we said God knows our birthday. We celebrate, right? Do you think it's crazy in our culture today that we celebrate gender reveals? Does anybody think that's the most foolish thing on the planet? There's people set forest fires. There's people set acreage on fire out in the Midwest. 
just by blowing up these things and trying to show if it's a boy or a girl. But in a generation that wants to show everybody, they got to videotape it, it's got to be vlogged, it's got to be, everybody's got to take a selfie with it, and it's got to get it just at the right time when it turns blue or turns pink. Have you seen it? Anybody? Has anybody in your family done that? You have a gathering? It's a huge event. It's got to be like, and you just can't celebrate as a family. You got to tell the whole world. The Chinese have to know about it, the Russians, everybody has to see it. Because they, you want them to know that you're going to have a what? No, 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 you know you're having a baby. You want everybody to know what? That you're having what? A boy or a girl. And then those same people will go to work and say, you can't know your gender. Isn't it, is it true of our generation? Huge gender reveals, boy or girl, pink or blue. You never see anybody blow up a black one. It'll come. If, as soon as somebody watches, they'll create a black one or a brown one or, or something to say this, whatever gendered this. But every time you gender reveal in this generation, it's pink or blue. But those same people will go about their business and say, you can't know your gender. You can identify whatever you want to identify. Isn't it crazy the world we live in? I was talking to the neighbor. I can't believe the world that we live in. A boy don't know he's a boy and a girl don't know she's a girl. It's, 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 to me, it's insanity. It used to be to the world as well, do you know? I told you I shared with you last, I was reading and studying, and when, when did they actually come off the books as homosexuality coming off as a, an issue of the mental de deranged, because you know it was a mental disorder for the longest time, did you know that, till the 70s? Well, transgenderism was also listed as a mental disorder, did you know that? You know until when? This year. The WHO, the World Health Organization, still listed as a mental disorder until 2022 because it was changed this year. Go look it up. I was surprised. I thought I'd, surely the world would have called on to that by now. But it's still, as a matter of fact, if you actually look in the, their diagnoses until this uh, catalog is over of diagnoses, until 2022, that's when it becomes off the books. Do you find that strange? That all of a sudden something that was for the longest time of all of mankind now is something that's actually... Put aside. Well, let's look today. I want you to see something. Though your sin might be not that grievous, though you think you, we measure our sins, don't we? Good versus bad. That's a big sin, little sin, white lie, black lie, whatever you call the sins. We choose our sins. I want you to understand something today. No matter where you find yourself, no matter if you know or don't know, if you're confused or not confused, that Jesus loves you and has a plan of redemption for every single person's soul. Every person has a soul. Isn't that true? And every soul is going to spend eternity somewhere, heaven or hell. And it's time we, church, tell the truth to the world, but also come and offer them a solution of love. Not just angry, because some people say, you sound like you're angry, and you're angry at the world, and you're judging. I just want to say about sin what God says about sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. Does that include us? That includes all, everyone here and everyone out there. We all know that, and we come to the realization that Jesus still said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever in the world believeth in him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. This is a promise, a commitment from God himself that we would have eternal life. Those sinners who would receive salvation, because we know Matthew, when Jesus was born, we talked about this at Christmas, Matthew writes that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Isn't that amazing to think about? Your life was on his mind while he came into the world. When he came to the world, it was God's plan to save you and save me. My question is this. Why do people reject Jesus? 
Some people say, well, the church is so judgmental. Or there's hypocrites at church. By the way, is there, are there any hypocrites at church? Anybody want to identify as one? Say one thing to another. It happens to us often because we live in these frail bodies. The, body, the Bible says the Spirit of God wars against our spirit constantly. Everything I, Paul said, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I should or want to do, I, I don't. Oh, what wretched man that I am. And we come to that place and say that about all of us. We understand who we are. Then somebody would walk out here today and say, well, then I can just do whatever I want to and say, God, I'm sorry. Romans 6 is written for you, right? Do we sin that grace may abound? And he says what? God forbid. Do not do it. A Christian does not want to do that thing. We ask and say, God, stop that for me. Cut that off. And I've, you've heard me say, I would rather die than sin against God in a way that would cause anyone to be far from God. Well, I, in the families, we've got to be careful, right? In our families, you, my family's here and here, and they know me. They know me, right? Before the BC, before Christ and after Christ. There's some tendencies on both sides that still carry over. Do I still get mad? Do I still get angry? The Bible says get angry and what? Sin not. I come close this morning when I drove into this driveway. I was okay at my house and thought it was some kids, but then when they did it here against our sheep, against the people of, of Town Creek, now they took on a whole lot other expenses and things that would cost us a lot of money and tires. But those people need Jesus as well. And I wanted to let them meet Jesus this morning when I got up, so uh, in a different way, but I had to get ready before I got here. This wedding at Canaan is something that's so easily, I've heard it preached I don't know how many sermons, I don't know how many times I've read through John, but I struggled through it and said, there's got to be more here than just Jesus turning water into wine. How many pastors will get into, especially the young pastors right now, they would argue, did Jesus make fermented wine? Did Jesus get people drunk? What a stupid argument to have about the scripture. What is the nature of God? To get you drunk, high on drugs or anything like that? Would Jesus go out and instead of actually redeeming the drunkard, would he give him more wine and more drunk, more, more alcohol? You say, well, if you say yes, you don't know the God of the Bible. Because First John tells us that he's the God of love. Everything that he does, even the thou shalt nots and the thou shalts and the commands of God are from his love tank, if you will, from his love nature because God is love, the Bible says. So we read this wedding at Canaan. It's not just a wedding at Canaan, uh, just a historical narrative, something that just happened in the Bible, and then we pass on by and keep on going to the next miracle. Some people argue well, this message is all about his first miracle, the first thing that Jesus did to show that he was God. This is true. Jesus turned water into wine. This is true. But it's not about alcoholic beverages. Should we drink? Should we not drink? It's not that. And by the way, just for the record, the Bible never says, thou shalt not drink alcohol. Did you know that? It says, do not drink to excess. If you get drunk, you're sinning against God, just for the record. If you go to the buzz level, you're sinning against God. That's a sin. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, then get buzzed and drive down the road, and I'll call the highway patrol. Do you think you'll find out that that's sin? There's laws that says that's sin, isn't it? It's called DUI. DWI, we have officers in this room right now, and they will pull you over, right, if they were on patrol. So don't drink to excess. We know that the law says don't do it here, but God's word says don't do it. That's why we as Christians don't. And I believe if I drink and you see me with a drink in my hand, 
I'm going to lead you far from God. And the more mature in Christ should never lead the immature away from Christ. If you struggle with alcoholism and you come up and see somebody who calls themselves a Christian drinking a glass of wine or drinking a beer, you go, wait a minute. What's your first question? I don't have a problem with people drinking. Listen, I've sat at dinner tables. I've been in hotel rooms with friends that are guys and uh, we're just having conversations and we're at conference or wherever it might be and have no problem with them drinking a glass of wine. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't offend me and think, oh, they're going to hell because they have a glass of wine. So if, you, if I ever run into you somewhere, I'm not going to be judgmental because Jesus comes to the place, they run out of wine. They didn't run out of bread. They didn't run out of hors d'oeuvres, but they run out of wine. The key thing that makes Mary, and we'll see in the scripture, and this is part one, by the way. I just, I didn't count it as part one, but it is, this has got to be a part one. This is so deep and so strong. Let me get to the word. Let's read in chapter two, John chapter two. On the third day, there was a wedding in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. That's Mary. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. What does that tell you about the wedding if Jesus and his disciples was invited? Mary was there. Just from just context, you could say, wait a minute, these people must have known Mary, Jesus, James and John, you see the guys that are around them, Peter, Andrew. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, this is just like a mother, isn't it? Whatever he says, you do it. And we don't have any other record what else she did besides she leaves Galilee. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Anybody a mathematician? Let's round it up. 30 gallons apiece times how many? Six. How many gallons of wine is that going to be? Jesus is going to give them to excess, right? He's going to make the party party, right? He's going to give them the wine, the good wine of heaven. Jesus said to them, "Fill the water pots with water, uh, fill the water pots with water and filled them and they filled them to the brim." And he said to them, "Draw out some now and take it to the master of the feast." And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that had been made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let me continue. I won't get to verse 12 because they're going to leave. They're going to pack up and leave. There's something we'll pick up next week. But I want you to see this. Go to your notes because I want you to mark some of these things that when people have conversations about this, Jesus turning water into wine, don't get into that childish, immature argument that Jesus turned the water into alcoholic beverage. Jesus would do nothing out of his nature to get people drunk. But because the Jews would take the water, and there's a thing called kosher wine. Look that up if you want to. Jesus, is Jesus under the law currently while he lives in the human body? Prior to the resurrection, the Old Testament is what he's living in. It's happening in our New Testament Bible, but Jesus is under the law of the Old Testament. Could Jesus consume anything that was not what we call today kosher? He couldn't have it. What is kosher wine? You ever heard of kosher wine? Look at what kosher wine is. It sounds disgusting. And the wine in this region was terrible, by the way, because the acidity of the ground, if you study that, I've read a lot on it. But kosher wine is typically cooked wine. 
It's wine that had to be brought to a certain point. And then they was, it was so bad, the record uh, tells us that they would cut the water, the wine, one-tenth. They would actually take, in ten parts, I'm sorry, I should say, they would cut the water with wine. And it would purify, the wine would purify the water, and then the water was able to be drank. But it would be a, you ever had watered-down tea? Think about watered-down wine. That's what they would have. That's when he said, you bring out the inferior, you bring out the, the junk stuff when everybody's full. Have you ever been to a picnic where somebody cooked steaks or cooked hamburgers? Or cooked the kids' food first and you killed a couple of hot dogs and they said, what are you doing? We have steaks for the adults. You ever been there? I've been there before like, I don't want a steak. I'm full. I can't. But we bought these good steaks for us. And do you eat it? And then when you finish eating that steak, going, hey, we're going to have great dessert. And when you finish that, hey, let's have a cup of coffee. You understand what they're talking about when they said they're well drunk, they're, they're in excess, they're full? This is only the third day, and you see in your notes, the Hebrew wedding would often last seven days. It'd go on and go on. You had to feed these people. Y'all, have you ever been to a wedding that was nice food? Have you ever paid for a wedding? It's expensive, right? Everybody wants to come because they want to eat your food. They don't really care too much about your ceremony. They want to eat your food and see what you got. We had a great banquet at our uh, a wedding and reception was huge and didn't get to eat not even one shrimp because I was talking to people and walked out and I did get some rice that my brothers and cousins picked me up and put down my pants for what reason they do that I, that's the only thing I got I left with rice and sardines on my car manifold so you could smell cooked fish everywhere I went these were my brothers and cousins these are the people who love me but there's a party going on here, and this is, Jesus is right in the middle of This is more than likely, as I put in your notes, they might have even been family or friends. This is somebody that Mary knows, that Jesus knows, and how do we know that they know them? We look at back in just the scriptures before. Go back and look at verse 45. This is what Jesus was calling his disciples. We talked about last week, and we say, well, Philip comes up and says this. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Who, who was he talking about? Jesus of, not just Jesus, he said Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He recognized, hey, remember, you know the carpenter over Nazareth? That's his boy. He's the Messiah. That took a lot of belief, didn't it? Okay, and then you see what Nathaniel said. If you missed it last week, go back and look at that. What Nathaniel said, Nathaniel's like, how is this happening? And could you imagine if it was your brother or your sister or your cousin? You're like, wait a minute, I've grown up with him. He was always perfect. He always didn't do anything wrong. But the Messiah, the one that's going to save the world, they had some doubts. And we know that they know Nazareth was only three and a half miles away from Canaan. So it was just next door neighbors. It was a short distance. Well, I want you to see Jesus redeemed the groom and the bride's reputation because the wine ran out. If the wine ran out, the party stopped. And you would have been shamed. Your family would have been shamed. And the chosen, I was going to use the block of the chosen. I was recommended to do that. Mackenzie talked about doing that. And it um, would have been too long this morning for us to watch. But if you get a chance to watch, even on YouTube, go look at the water to wine scene from the chosen if you haven't seen it. I'd highly recommend it. Well, I want you to go down and check your notes. The wedding feast began on what day? I didn't realize the third day was so powerful. I know I've went through, I've looked at some Hebrew numerology, and the, but the third day is powerful. Do a Google search just on the third day. What is the significance of the third day? 
And the third day, what did God create on the third day? Do you know? Because John goes back to Genesis. If you look at John 1, 1, John puts us back to Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything that was made was made by Him. He's talking about Jesus. Genesis goes back to in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Talks about the earth being void. And then all of a sudden, God starts making things. And we start seeing things appear. Day three, we always tell the kids the cheap way to remember it is day three, God made trees. It rhymes with three, so it's an easy way to remember. But he made land, he separated land, he, he prepared it. And two times in the third day, God says, and it's good. And it's good. The only day that he did double. Now on the last day, he said it is very good. But the Hebrews key in on that third day that it's important. There's God, there's a redemption pattern there. He, it's good. It's good. It's a repeat. Go back and look for yourself. It's pretty exciting to see when you study this. So the wedding feast on the third day, if it was the third day from the miracles, he not the miracles, but the calling of the disciples, this would have been the seventh day, which is what day of the week? Would have been Sunday. What day of the week did Jesus rise again? The third day on Sunday. That's why you and I are meeting as Christians today on the Lord's Day. We call it on Sunday. We're meeting on the day that he rose from the grave. The, the word said it would be the third day. Jesus himself said it would be the third day. And the Hebrews key in heavily on the third day. So whatever the meaning here, the wedding feast, and we'll talk a little more, more next week. The wedding feast began on the third day. The number of harmony, wisdom, and understanding is the number of the divine is what it is. So this is in the Hebrew culture. But look it up even today for third, number third day or three. Look how significant it is around the world. The wedding took place near Jesus' hometown. Here's what Jesus did. He revealed his glory first at the celebration of love with family, friends, and disciples. Why do I tell you this? Because we're going to continue through the book of John and meet Jesus. This is the Jesus who loved. And he wanted to show, obviously, his family and friends that he was God's son. Yes, he was the son of man, but he's also the son of God. A term you'll see throughout Scripture. He tells Mary his time had not come, and even when he was going to be arrested later, when we see the people go after him, he comes back and says, the Bible says his time had not come, so they could not, they could not arrest him. And then you say, when did his time come? And if you go to read John 17, if you put that in your notes, Jesus said, my hour has now come. And what was he ready for? The cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. He knew his time had come. So when Jesus says, my time has not come, he's not being disrespectful, as I'll show you in the notes. He actually was being very respectful to Mary. But Mary was his mother. And what did Mary know about Jesus? Mary, okay, I'll tell you. If you hadn't read the Bible, Mary knew that Jesus was virgin born. He was a miraculous child because the Bible says that she thought about these things and she kept them close to her heart. Remember what Simeon told her? Listen, there's, he's going to pierce your heart. There's something going to happen that's going to cause you great pain with your son. She starts hearing prophecies about her son. Only God knows what God revealed, obviously, to her, but we have record of what some things were revealed and prophesied about Jesus. Jesus revealed his glory first at Canaan, just three and a half miles away from his hometown. Many believe Jesus could solve, um, excuse me, Mary believed Jesus could solve the dilemma of running out of wine. I've heard stories, and if you've heard stories as well. Well, there's stories, even Jewish stories of Jesus. He would see a dead bird and bring it back to life and let it go. Have you ever heard those stories? Anybody ever told those stories when you were a kid? Those are wives' tales. Those are outside the Bible. The Bible tells us, John tells us, this is the first record of his 
any miracles that Jesus did, this is the first record. So Mary says, Jesus, they're out of wine. Look what she did. When she had a problem, where did she go? Do you see a pattern that we're supposed to do today? If you've got any problem in your life, where should you go first? Most of us go to the internet. We got a text about it. We got a blog. We got to tell somebody, the whole world, again, the Chinese or the Russians, we got to tell the whole world so people feel sorry for us. I'm so sorry, right? You got people that are reporting. If you're a teacher, guess what you should love to do? Come on. If you're a teacher, it's, the root word's in the, the word. If you're a teacher, what should you love to do? How many teachers are complaining today they don't want to teach because they're afraid of COVID? Here's what I'd recommend you do. Quit. And go get a job where you can be isolated, be an entrepreneur, start a business, do something where you can stay at home. If you're a preacher and you don't like to preach, what should you do? Quit. If you're a doctor who's tired of treating COVID patients, guess what you should do, or a nurse? Quit. You signed on when you went to medical school that you would take care of, you would actually bring about, if you would, healing to anybody that comes in your place, vaccinated or unvaccinated. We've come to a society today that we, we like it our way. If it's this way, then I'll like it. If it's, not, if it's not my way, we think it's like Burger King. We don't want it, right? Have it your way. We've been spoiled. We're in a generation where something's missing, just like in this wine was missing from the wedding. What's missing? God is what? I told you when I started the sermon, God is love. What's missing in our generation today? Love. We don't have love for one another. But does the Bible warn us in the last days the love of many will wax cold, meaning we won't love like we should? Yeah, but don't let it happen to you and don't let it happen to me. We know better. We must actually be like God. We must imitate our Savior. Well, Jesus respectfully addressed Mary. I used to read that woman, and I called Wendy woman because Jesus said it to his mama, so I said it to my wife, and I found out she don't like that term. Don't call me woman, she said. Jesus is being very respectful. It's very term much for like, we would say, yes, ma'am. But he was talking to his mother, and he respectfully, well, I want you to get this down. Jesus respectfully addressed Mary. He clarified, my time to act and to be revealed has not yet come. Jesus was informing her he followed God's timeline, not Mary's. Get that down. Why is that important? Mary was not Jesus' boss. Mary was the tool that God used to bring Jesus to this earth. The Catholic Church will take that verse right here, this verse, and they'll dig down. And that's why they pray to the Virgin Mary. They'll ask Mary because they know Jesus does favors for Mary. So they'll ask Mary to ask Jesus to do this thing. Church, let me tell you something. Jesus is very clear. Mary was a tool. Mary had to be saved just like you and I have to be saved. Mary had to come to the place and confess her sins and believe that Jesus died on the cross for her sins. The one who gave birth to the Savior had to actually come to the place and be born again of the Savior. Does that make sense? She gave birth to him because it was the plan of God, but she in turn had to come back and ask for forgiveness and be born again, just like everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and is saved. Mary had to be saved the same way you and I did. She had no special privileges. She's not part of the Godhead in heaven. There is no confessing to Mary or talking to saints or praying to anyone else except to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is clear. You come to the Father but by me. That's why we close our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray because we, we know we have no access to the Father except through Jesus Christ.
And if your prayers are messed up as you pray to the Father and you don't know what to pray or you just can't pray or you're crying when you pray or, or you're just not knowing what to pray, how to the situation, you always pray, your will be done. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit is our interpreter. He says, God, this is what he's saying. This is what she's saying. Isn't that great to know that he's a redeeming, saving Savior and he just, he'll fix it? Mary went to Jesus quickly. Hey, they're out of wine. They're out of love at the banquet. It's going to turn ugly real quick when you run out of wine, right? Shame will be brought on your family. But can I tell you, in all the sins that we can mention from this pulpit or anywhere in our society, Jesus is in the business of redeeming the broken and the lost. Amen? He wants to love you. He wants to redeem you no matter how bad you've been in the past, no matter what you say, well, you don't know. I don't know, but if God is everywhere all the time, does he know what you've been through? Does he know the decisions you've made and that I've made? Does he know? But I want you to know this morning, he still loves you and he wants to redeem you, forgive you, bring you back. Redemption is simply buying back. You already belong to him in creation. He is your creator. He's not your father. Everybody says, well, he's the father of all. Jesus even contradicted that when he told the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you brood of vipers, what do you come here for? You are your father, the devil. Jesus told the religious people they were of the devil. They were, that was their father. I do what my father says to do. There's a Muslim or Muslim clerics now on YouTube. It's been played. People are watching it over and over again. And he goes in, he quotes scripture because a lady asked him, what about Jesus Christ being the only savior of the world? This cleric speaks the truth of the scriptures for the first beginning part. And he says, if this was true of anywhere in the scripture where Jesus claimed deity, I would convert from Islam to Christianity today. And he slams, basically quotes scripture over and over and into the Quran over and over. And it's put on YouTube or other places so that people will say, well, he's smart. No, that's how the devil works. He'll give you part of the scripture. The Jehovah Witnesses, our friends that are Jehovah Witnesses, which we truly are Jehovah's Witnesses. These are the people of, of that temple they get together. Listen, they speak that Jesus was a creature. God didn't create Jesus. Jesus is God. Do you see the point? Say it with me out loud. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. So when you get that in your mind, in your heart, you'll start understanding the, the historical narrative is a little different. That Wait a minute. Jesus is there in creation before the beginning. He was there in the beginning. How long will he last? How do you know that? Hebrews 13, 8 says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He never changes. So does his love ever change at Cana whenever they run out of wine? No, his motive to give them wine is motive what? to express his love to them. He knows the shameful culture it would be that, that they, they would never live it down. Their family would always be talked about as the family who run out of wine. Now, what are they talked about? The family who like gave us good wine and then they came and gave us superior wine. No one ever does this. No one ever goes to the second level. They always wait till you're full and then give out the junk stuff so you'll leave, right? Man, the food's getting bad. We gotta get out of here. But they saved the best because it was heavenly wine. It was given to them. The beautiful picture of redemption here of Jesus Christ. Jesus respectfully addressed it Mary. He told her, I'm not on your timeline. I'm on my father's. Jesus commanded the servants to fill six stone water pots to the brim. Did they do it? Jesus always blesses. Listen, get this down. If you're a Christian today, Jesus always blesses in abundance. 
That's the God we serve. Let that truth ring in your heart. Let the Holy Spirit drive that down to your inner core. Jesus always blesses in abundance. You say, well, you don't know my life. I'm struggling. Ramen noodles, or you putting barbecue sauce on ramen noodles and extra chicken uh, cubes, bouillon cubes in ramen noodles. Listen, if you have ramen noodles, are you blessed today? There's people without anything today. We're praying for Haiti. We're praying for Afghanistan. All the things that are happening in our world. We're praying for the Dominican Republic. There's mess happening around the world. We're praying for our nation, aren't we? And listen, as hard as it is, are we not praying for our leadership today? To say Joe Biden on my lips is hard sometimes. As a veteran to pray, Lord, bless him and give him wisdom. But even God encourages me on that, that hey, who are you? you? I told you to pray for those in authority. And how do I pray? How am I supposed to pray? In love, just like God tells us to love. Do I struggle? Man, I'm driving the struggle bus sometimes, y'all. Turn, you got to turn the news off. you got to turn society and listen. It's happening. We know it's happening. We know what the Word of God says. This is like the morning newspaper today. It's telling us what's going to happen in the last days. But let me encourage you to pray for our leadership, those in authority. You want to see change? You want to see change in our church? You want to see change in our society? You want to see change in our schools? What should we do? We pray. We go like Mary did, straight to Jesus. Jesus, there is a problem. Did Jesus know they'd run out of wine already? He knows all things. Did Jesus know Mary was going to come and ask him or tell him that the wine ran out? Come on, church, tell me. Did Jesus know if he's God? Did Jesus know the servants would fill these purification vessels to the top? Did Jesus know he was going to turn water into wine? So if we serve a God who knows everything and promises in the Great Commission, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Go do what I'm telling you to do. Go make disciples of all the nations. Go baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go teach them everything I taught you. And remember, I'm always with you to the end of the age. Is that good news or what? That's great news of great joy. It doesn't get any better than that. Let's finish quickly. Let's, let's wrap this up. Jesus commanded the servants... In obedience, they filled the stone pots. Jesus commanded the servants to draw out some liquid. And the reason I put liquid, because I didn't know if it was water or wine when they drew it out. What was it? In the pot, I knew what it was, right? It was water when it was in the pot. They knew it was, and how do we know it was water in the pot? The Bible tells us so. Always go back to the authoritative source. The Bible says it was water. Jesus saw it was water. And these pots, I looked up these, these six pots. Why six pots? There's all kinds of different things in numerology. But these pots were very expensive. Most people didn't have these type of pots. Some people think this was actually a priestly household. A lot of money to actually make these pots because it was made from a solid piece of rock, of, of stone. Limestone. They would, they would just hone it out. It took a special skilled person to actually do what these to make these pots and of course the six is the number of man there's a lot of things that are going on here but the water was for what and there's something i won't talk about today but you go and read and study when a woman became when a young girl became a woman there was a purification if you go back and look at leviticus remember they're still under the law she had to go into like a baptism pool when this water would be poured in and it would be symbolic that she is now clean that she has actually become a woman and obviously if here at the wedding ceremony you have these purification pots, these stone pots, and Jesus tells them to fill it. And that's why I put the word liquid, because when it was in the pot, I got it from the word of God that it was water. 
When they drew out some, did they draw out wine or did they draw out water? The answer is I don't know. Did they have to take faith and still see water in the cup? Because when they handed it to the master of the feast, what were they going to do if they handed him water? Who's going to be embarrassed then? The servants, like, what are you doing? What are you bringing me water? So that's why I put liquid. Maybe I didn't have enough faith that it was already wine. I don't know. But they took liquid out. They did exactly what he said to do. Jesus commanded the servants to draw some liquid from the stone pots. The servants obeyed. When Jesus tells you to do something today, what should you do? Say it louder. You should do what? The first time, not multiple times when he tells you to do. Because usually there's discipline that comes between every time you disobey. Jesus commanded the servants to take the liquid to the master of the feast, and they took it. The master of the feast praised the groom and the bride for such superior wine. By divine power, Jesus turned the almost 200 gallons of water into wine. That's a lot of liquid, isn't it? A lot of water turned to wine. And by the way, these purification pots, because they were made of stone, they couldn't be unclean. The way they were built, they couldn't be unclean. Clay pots, they could become unclean. And what were you supposed to do with an unclean clay pot? Destroy it. But not these pots. These pots couldn't, because they were made of stone, could not become unclean. He is the God who supplies. Can you say amen? That's the God that we serve. The wedding is a beautiful picture of Jesus redeeming sinful mankind. He is the God who saves as well. Amen? Two of us believe that. He is the God who saves. Amen? If you're saved today, you can't help but say amen. Turning water into wine was the first of Jesus' signs as attesting miracles. Jesus revealed his glory by displaying his deity and his great power openly. And Jesus' disciples commonly believed in him as the Messiah. Here's the question. Today, we can have confidence in Jesus. That's the statement, right? Here's the question is, do you know him? Do you know him? If you know him, listen, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You ever read that before? We've said it here. Try it. Say so. So. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Go tell somebody that you're redeemed. Don't keep it to yourself. This is something we're commanded to do. Put this note, you have it, I'm not going to read it today, put this note and go read this on your own. Read Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, and let's have a conversation. Somebody text me or call me and say, Pastor, I read that. Hallelujah, that's true. I'll give you cheat notes. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1, what did I say through? 14. Read it and come back and respond to me and tell me what you think. There should be a little hallelujah, that means praise the Lord, and celebrating of who he is and what he's done for you and what he's done for me. Because does the Bible say we're all sinners? Yes. The wages of sin, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is what? Death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's bought us back, y'all. Listen, he's waiting. If you hadn't got your ticket yet, he's waiting to redeem you. He created you, yes, he's your creator, but he's also your loving Savior. Do you know him today? If you don't know him personally, listen, let today be the day that you say, I want to be saved. I want to know that Jesus has bought me back. I, I want to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. You can do that today if he draws you to himself. If you hear something, the Holy Spirit moves you and says, listen, make that decision today. Or if you've never followed through a believer's baptism, we're going to have baptism coming up shortly. You need to be obedient, just like these servants were obedient. You're his servant. He calls us no longer servants, but his what? Friends, his children, his sons, his daughters. We have all these great titles of the king. We belong to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The God of abundance. The God who saves. 
creator God. That's who I belong to. That's who you belong to if you're his child. The Bible's very clear. Listen, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. It's a commitment God makes to you and to me. Isn't that wonderful? He's an awesome God. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, today we pray and ask you to do what only you can do. Lord, our lives, each of us have come through our timelines from birth to whatever age we are today. And Lord, you had an encounter. Most of us have had a spiritual encounter with you where you changed our life forever. Some of us came kicking and bucking and fighting. Some came smoothly, some came as children, some as teens and some as 20s and 30s and older. Whichever way we came, Lord, thank you that we were brought into the kingdom by the presence of your Holy Spirit. Yet you guided us, you called us first, we said yes. Lord, today we can rest assured that we belong to you. Hallelujah and praise the name of Jesus. But Lord, if there's somebody today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, let today be the day of salvation. Lord, if there's somebody not being obedient as we fill the waters of baptism, Lord, as they are obedient to show the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, let them respond with a yes, amen as well. I want to do that. And Father, if we have Christians in the house or watching by Facebook or YouTube, Father, I pray that you would actually convict them that they're not living for you if they're not. If they're not telling anyone about the wonderful Savior that we serve, Father, may today be the day that they ask for forgiveness and start on that journey. That long journey, Lord, of saying yes, Lord. Not always easy, but Father, we know that when the road gets tough, you're right there for our supplies. Lord, when it gets so difficult, we don't think we can make it another day. You're the God who provides and cares us through. You are a wonderful, loving Savior. I praise your name. Praise your name. Praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.